0: Able to come together and witness such a tremendous production. Let's give it to the kids again. All of the team, the children's ministry team. We almost feel rubbed, don't we, if we go to church at Christmas and there's no nativity of some sort. And um, I love the way that they reinvent it every year. I mean, it's a multimedia production this year. They've excelled themselves. People always say that um, Christmas is for children, but the reality is that we're all big kids, aren't we, inside? And so we love it. And um, we're grateful for the way in which, you know, think about all of the lines that they had to learn, so many of them. Um, and yet, it's a, it's a blessing that they delivered it so well. And really communicated the essence of why we're here. You know, we're here because we understand that without Christ, there is no Christmas. Um, we're just left with muscle. And s- <laughs> some of you didn't get that mark, you got that. <laughs> and, you know, we appreciate the fact that it's unlikely, spoiler alert, that December the 25th is actually the day that Christ was born. Sorry to disappoint you if you've really actually, you know, pegged your, 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 your everything on that being true. Um, it's, it's unlikely that Christ was born on December the 25th and yet we do know that we celebrate his coming because he was born, because he did come and in fact the way that he came was unusual and unexpected for someone of his reputation and so as we gather today, this is the third part in our um, Christmas mini-series. And some of you are thinking to yourself, the third part, how comes we didn't get the memo? So we're going to have to try and make sense of what you're going to say because there's already been two other parts. Well, firstly, it is available on the podcast. And so shout out to the podcast team. Um, but each message has been a message in and of itself. And so the, the first um, session we looked at, what did you expect us to do with Christmas. And we looked at the question as to whether or not Christmas is pagan. And so you can find that on the um, Ecclesia podcast on iTunes. And then last week, Richard shared with us uh, the challenging question of what did you expect of the gift of Jesus? Recognizing that Jesus is the great gift of Christmas. But he wasn't the gift that many expected him to be. Like many Christmas gifts, he's regarded as somewhat of a, an unwanted gift. And so, my question today is kind of taking things from a slightly different angle. What did you expect Jesus to get for Christmas? What did you expect Jesus to get for Christmas? Now, we are used to kind of Christmas being about giving. It's a season of giving and presents are shared and we often look forward to giving presents to one another or receiving presents. And, you know, those who are mature among us, it's not about the receiving, but it's a blessing to give. And yet, what about Jesus? I mean, Christmas is supposed to be the celebration of his birthday. And yet... How much thought do we give to actually what Jesus receives at this time? This is the question I put before us today. We're going to look at some verses from Matthew chapter 2, and then I'm going to pray. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Father God, we thank you that we are alive to see Christmas Eve 2017. And we've gathered here today in your name because truly you are good. Your steadfast love and your mercy and kindness endure always. You have demonstrated this to us in giving us your son, Jesus Christ. Lord I pray that you would provoke our hearts to consider today what it is we would give to him according to your word. And we ask this in Jesus name. Amen. The most famous verse in the Bible John 3:16. It was quoted so wonderfully in the play. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And right there in the summary of the gospel, in one verse, we see a clear and non-negotiable fact. God gave. Because of his love, God gave. Now, there's no doubt for children, there is a sense in which they appreciate Christmas um, for what they may get. And I say may get because... They're not yet parents, and they don't understand the pressure that we have to go through to try and satisfy them. And yet, there is a point I would suggest in our lives, and I would hope that all of us have experienced it at some point or another. There is a point where we experience not just the joy of receiving, but the joy of giving. Amen? Amen? Amen. I remember I was about maybe 11 possibly 12, and it was Christmas, and for the first time, I had actually made a commitment to buy presents for members of my family, and it it sticks out in my mind so clearly, because it was at that time when I really experienced the joy of giving. Now, albeit a last-minute commitment, so I'd done most of my shopping in the corner shop, Some of you are thinking, I hope you'll hurry up and finish I can get my last finished shopping in. Pound shop. Pound shop. Pound shop. And um, I bought everybody gifts for under £10. No, that wasn't each gift. That was all of the gifts. <laughs> for under £10. And I remember Christmas Day, everybody opened their gifts and me looking at their faces, waiting eagerly to see if they would appreciate what I've got them. And I I remember I I got my dad some shaving foam. (laughs) I mean, I splashed out. (laughs) Excuse the pun. (laughs) I got him some shaving foam. And I remember him opening up the the, the packet. And he looked at me and said, son, thank you, son. This is just the foam that I use. I tell you, I was just, I just, I hadn't asked anybody. I didn't know. I didn't even know if he was telling the truth. I still don't. (laughs) But I just felt exhilarated in my heart, just wow, I got it right, and he appreciated it. And I experienced for the first time the joy of giving. I wonder if I've got any witnesses in the building that could do Some of you are still waiting for that moment, right? <laughs> but there is a certain joy in giving, and there's no doubt that It's a pleasure when you experience it, but sometimes it's hard to come by. Because choosing the right gift can be a real challenge sometimes. You know what it's like, you really want to kind of impress, but you want it to be a surprise. You don't want to just ask outright, what do you want for Christmas? Because it suggests that you haven't really cared to put some thought into it and really kind of get to know the person and find out what they like and then surprise them with it. And so. You kind of go through all kinds of, you know, maneuvers, uh, you know, you, you might send somebody else or ask somebody else, you know, what do you think that they might like? Or you might have a conversation with them and begin to talk about the thing that you think that they might like to see how, you know, I was thinking that I might actually buy, um, uh, I might buy an a, 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 a entertainment voucher, you know, so that um, I, I just got it on hand when I'm ready to go to shows waiting for them to affirm. Yeah, that's a great idea. I'd love to have one of those all kinds of strategies and tactics, but we can really experience the tension in trying to work out what is it that we're going to give because we want to have that joy of knowing that that person has received something that they really delight in, something that they really want. And so I say to you today that it is possible that you are able to experience the joy of giving to the Lord. You are able to experience the joy of giving to the Lord. Now, you might be thinking, well, what would Jesus want? What would Jesus want? Well, we learn something from the Magi in this story that we've read. Now, when I say magi, some of you immediately, your minds go to the mummy. And um, the magi in the mummy, um, for those who don't know, it's probably my wife's favorite film. Mm. Between that and Jurassic Park, I think. (laughs) Some of you are maybe thinking magi in other terms. The, the, The manga classic. But I want to turn your attention for a moment to some other magi. Magi that feature in a story by a gentleman called, his pen name, O. Henry. And O. Henry, also known as William Sidney Porter, was a U.S. author who was known for writing short stories. But he wrote short stories with a difference because... In writing his stories, his stories were always known to have a surprise twist at the end. A bit like those Columbo episodes you love to watch or Murder, She Wrote. And they always pull the twist out of the bag and you're like, hey, I never saw that coming. And so, O. Henry wrote a story called The Gift of the Magi. And it was about a couple, a young couple... And they were deeply in love. You know, one of those couples who, we don't have much, but we have each other. And they were delighted in that alone. Della and James were their name. And it was the, a day just like today, Christmas Eve. And Della sat down. And she only had $1.68. And she had yet to get James his Christmas present. And she was perplexed. She was troubled. She was deeply, deeply troubled because she wanted James to know that she really loved him. And she wanted to have that joy of giving something to James that he would appreciate and that would be uh, uh, received as an expression of Della's love for him. And so, Della only had $1.68, but she had very long, lavish hair. Hair that women from all over talked about. Hair that reached down, not just to her back, but to her knees. And so, Della had an idea. You see, even in those days, wigs were big business. And so Della went to the the, the local wig merchant and said, would you buy my hair? And the merchant looked and immediately said, yes, of course, I'll buy your hair. And Della loosened her hair and it flowed down and the wig merchant's eyes lit up. Yes, indeed, I'll buy your hair how much will you give me for my hair? I'll give you $20. It's a lot of money in those days. And so the next hour was spent, the wig merchant carefully with the wild clippers cutting off Della's hair. Della took her $20, and she knew that her husband James had this gold watch that was given to him by his father, who had been who had received it from his dad James's granddad but this was a, a pocket watch that would sit down on the side cherished family heirloom but it was never used and she knew that James needed a chain in order to wear this watch with pride and so she took her 21 pounds and 68 cents and bought James a, ch- a chain for his gold pocket watch. She wrapped it up and she felt very accomplished. What an achievement. James is going to love this. He's now going to be able to showcase this watch that has been in the family of great value. He's going to showcase it wherever he goes at will. He has a fitting chain to match the watch. And so James came home and he had his package for Della and he had it carefully wrapped and Christmas morning came and they were now to exchange gifts and she was so excited. Let me go first, James. Let me go first. And so she gives her gift and James opens it and he looks at the, the chain and he's, wow, wonderful, tremendous. And um, he leaves it on the side and he looks at Della and he's realized obviously that a hair isn't there and he's thinking hmm maybe we should just enjoy the rest of our day and go to church and come back and have lunch and just give thanks to god for his goodness no 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 james i must open my present you've received yours and he's like hmm okay um so Go ahead. And so Della carefully opens the present and out comes some ornate and carefully handcrafted combs. But Della has no hair. (laughs) And so James feels a bit, you know, a bit of a letdown. Um, Not that he was mad at Della, you know, her concern. You're not going to find me beautiful, James. Oh, no, you're more beautiful than ever. And yet, she said, well, no less, my hair will grow back. Um, Put the chain on the watch, put the chain on the watch. And he said, "Um, well, I sold the watch in order to buy the combs. Such was the extent of their love that they were ready and prepared to sacrifice that which they treasured, which they valued, to show their love toward one another. And so we see that these magi had the best of intentions in mind, and yet it didn't quite work out as they had hoped who would have known and yet we recognize that the magi in our story they were led by God to bring the gifts that God had ordained and so they come to Jesus and we see three things from the gifts that they brought first of all we recognize that they are gifts fit for a king You see, they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And these gifts were very, very costly gifts. I mean, no doubt, gold was just as rare and precious a metal then as it is now. And yet also... Frankincense and myrrh were very expensive items. In fact, it wasn't just the gold that indicated that these were gifts fit for a king, but even the the value of the frankincense and myrrh were regarded to communicate that as well. This is a statement by Ben Witherington, who's the professor of New Testament studies in St. Andrews in Scotland, St. Andrews University. It says, frankincense and myrrh were very expensive gifts, not least because they only came from southern Arabia and what we now call Somalia. Pliny tells us that a pound of incense cost a full week of a day laborer's wages. And the most prized myrrh could cost 50 days wages of a day laborer. So, These gifts were no small offering. They were no small presentation. And even though they arrived from afar, they knew that they were coming to meet royalty. They were coming to meet the king. We saw that in our verses in verse 2. They came saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? This was the declaration at Christ's birth. It was such a declaration that it troubled Herod and all of Jerusalem. I mean, Herod was already king of the Jews. So what is there not to be troubled about? A baby, an upstart, coming to take my place? (laughs) We'll see about that, Herod thinks. And he regarded this baby as a genuine threat. To his royal succession. In fact, he sent the wise men away, which is what magi means. He sent the wise men away and told them to come back to him when they found the baby. Evidently, his intentions and his motives were not genuine. And yet, when they left Herod's presence... The star that they had been following became evident again and led them to the place where Jesus was. And so we see that Jesus was declared as king at his birth, just as he was at his death. And there was nothing about his life in between that changed the nature of that declaration. There was nothing about his life that actually contradicted that declaration. To the point where he was called king of the Jews at his birth. And he was called and declared by the Romans king of the Jews at his death. And over his head they put the charge against him which read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Jesus... Is truly king of the Jews but he's not just king of the Jews because we are told in scripture on multiple occasions that Jesus Christ is not actually just the king of the Jews but he is the king of kings and lord of lords amen and so therefore being the king of kings and lord of lords. He is the supreme one. That's what's being communicated there. There is none above him. There is none who can rival him. He is above all. And that includes you and me. Because we see ourselves as lord of our own lives. As king of our own lives. We make our decisions. You know that you, 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 you can't hit your teen years. And you just, you resent everything your parents tell you. Like, just leave me alone. Can't you see that? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big person. Because you reach that stage in life where you feel like you know. And you're able to make decisions for yourself. You're king of your own life. Queen of your own life. Lord of your own affairs. But here's news today. Jesus is king of kings. And lord of lords. So it doesn't matter how much authority and sovereignty you think you have over your own life. He has ultimate authority over your life. Now that needs to condition how we approach him. That needs to condition how we look at him. How we think about him. He's not just someone we can kind of regard casually. As a... As a, as a extra in our lives, who plays a, you know, you got the films and you got the main stars and then you've got the extras, Winston in EastEnders. <laughs> and sometimes he, get, he gets a line and you're like, whoa, Winston said something today. And you know it in the diary because it's like it's unusual. Normally he's just, he's just having those silent conversations, propping up the bar. No, they actually have silent conversations. If you're on set, that's exactly what they have to do. (laughs) Jesus isn't just an extra in your life. He isn't a side man. Some people treat Jesus like he's just a send out. Lord, if you would do this for me and do that for me, and oh Lord, would you give me this, and oh Lord, would you get that for me, and... We only want to refer to him when we want something. But he wants something from you. What do you expect Jesus to get for Christmas? He is king of kings and lord of lords. We also see that actually when we consider what these symbols that were given represent we appreciate that actually it gives us a greater indication of what God expects because just as these wise men came and gave that which was intended by God to be given they speak to us as to what God expects gold, frankincense and myrrh now In Isaiah chapter 60, we see these words. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And this is the prophet Isaiah making declaration concerning the Messiah. The same Messiah that Herod inquired about at the birth of Jesus. Herod said to the consorts and the wise attendants, where is the Messiah going to come from? And they said, Bethlehem. Why? Because in Israel it was known that the Messiah would come and that his place of birth was predicted in the ancient writings of the prophets. And so they knew the Messiah was coming. This is what is said of the Messiah. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth. And thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you. And his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light. And kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see they all gather together they come to you your sons shall come from afar and your daughters shall be carried on the hip then you shall see see and be radiant your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you the wealth of the nations shall come to you a multitude of camels Shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold. And frankincense. Hmm. They shall bring gold. And frankincense. And shall bring good news. The praises of the Lord. This was some 700 years before Christ was born. The prediction that people would come from afar, noblemen would come, bringing gold and frankincense. And this wasn't just speaking about their knowledge of the fact that a saviour would be born. But this is representative of the fact that God was now embracing and opening his arms to all people from all nations that relationship with God would be by means of a new covenant through Jesus that would be available to all people, not just Jews. And so in the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh, we see that actually there is an expectation that people from all nations will come to God. You see, God... Wants you for Christmas. God wants you for Christmas. He wants you for his son. In fact, the psalmist said this in Psalms chapter 2 verse 8. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage. And the ends of the earth your possession. And see, we, we clearly see... The nations, not just one, the nations and the ends of the earth will be given to the Son as a gift. And so the greatest thing that you can give to God is not the fulfillment of your promises. You know those death moment promises when your, your life's in danger and... You feel like this calamity has come upon you. And you say, Lord, please, if you get me out of this, I tell you what, I will, I will give you, I will go to church. I, I All of those promises that have long since been forgotten, even though the Lord has delivered you. That's not what the Lord's looking for you, from you. The Lord's not looking for money in the offering. And you say, what? Is this a church? <laughs> but it's true. God's not looking for your money. The earth is the Lord and the fullness of it. And so God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need anything from us. God doesn't even need you. Uh Uh-oh. Now, I know that doesn't do a great deal for your self-esteem. But it's true. God doesn't need you. God doesn't get into this kind of codependent relationship where I need you and I need you to need me. No, 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 no. As somebody once said, God is God all by himself, and he don't need nobody else. And so it wasn't because God was lonely that he said, well, I'm going to make man in my image and give him opportunity to have relationship with me so that I can be loved and know what it feels like to be loved and that they can know my love and we can have this love relationship and no, 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 God's not insecure in any way whatsoever. You see, we understand from the Scriptures, even as we look at the Scriptures here, we see Christ the Son is born. Christ the Son is born, and yet the Father is still in heaven. And we understand that within the text of Scripture, it tells us that actually there are three persons who bear the title God. identity and the substance being God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they enjoy eternal love, one with another. And so they weren't lacking in love in any way whatsoever. Because the Father delighted in the Son, and the Son in the Father, and in the Spirit, and the Spirit delighted in the Son to the glory of the Father. And this was and is the eternal existence of God. And so God doesn't need you, but he wants you. He wants you for himself. But not in a selfish, egotistical, megalomaniac sense. I'm going to make people to worship me. (laughs) Remember Danger Mouse? (laughs) I can't even remember the bad guy's name, but he used to sit there like that with the cat. (laughs) God's not like that. God is love. God made man in his image and in his likeness so that we might know his love to the glory of his glorious grace. And so... For us to come to God. For God to want you. Is not even from a selfish motive. It's completely unselfish. It's for your benefit. For my benefit. And so why would you not give yourself to God. Knowing that he only wants the best for you. He only wants to lavish you with his love. Why would you not give yourself to God. Furthermore. God gave His Son. It's interesting because we see from Scripture that the peoples that God have chosen are for Him. Given to the Son as as a glorious gift. But this is a gift that the Son would pay for Himself. And you're like, what kind of gift is that? It's like one of those gifts where Parents live abroad. Uh, my child, I've sent you a gift over in the post. Have you got it yet? Uh, well, no, mom. It, but I got a card from the post office. That must be it. Make sure you go and collect it. All right, then. Go to the post office with your card. And there's tax to pay. And you're just like, hold on a second. I thought this was supposed to be some kind of gift. And you're paying tax that you've, you're just like, this, is, this isn't just pence. This is tens of pounds. And then you get the gift home and you open it up and you're just like, the tax is just as, as, as much as the value of the gift. I've just paid for my own gift. What kind of gift is that? This isn't one of those situations. Through suffering, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. This is Jesus speaking about his place among those that he has won through his suffering. Rejoicing among them, rejoicing over them. For the goodness of the Father expressed in bringing them all. Verse 13. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. This is speaking of Christ the Messiah. And the fact that he would suffer. And that would be the means by which he would pay for the gift of life. To those who believe. And we see this in the gifts that the the wise men brought. Gold. We see in scripture that gold is representative of justice from judgment. That could say justice through judgment. You see gold is a precious metal but it must first be refined by fire. In order... To be truly valuable, to be truly pure, gold must go through the fiery furnace of refinement. And this is representative of God's justice. The fire of judgment coming upon the Lord. And yet through that, the true value and worth of his goodness is seen and demonstrated. We see in frankincense. In the Old Testament, frankincense was used in the holy place when they were bringing sacrificial offerings to the Lord. They would burn the frankincense and fill the the temple and fill the the tent of the tabernacle with the smell of the frankincense. And when the frankincense was burnt, people knew that offerings were being made. And it speaks of the sacrifice of Christ's life that he would give himself as a sacrificial offering, a sweet smelling savor unto the Lord. And yet myrrh, myrrh which was, was that which was, Jesus was on the cross and they offered him myrrh-laced vinegar at his death as a pain reliever. And so when mixed with fluid, it, it, was, it, it had pain relieving qualities. But at the same time, it was also something that was used in the embalming process when they would wrap the dead and they would put spices and herbs in between the cloths to to, to delay the rate of decay and so these gifts were given at his birth as a herald they were given at his birth as a foretelling of his end the end to which he was born Jesus was born to die and you say, well, everyone's born to die. Everyone's going to die at some point. But no. Most people avoid death. But Jesus came for the purpose of being killed, of dying. One who would receive the judgment of the Father as he gave himself as a living sacrifice unto God. Who would die and be buried And yet, as they declared in the play, was seen by 500 people after his death. He was seen alive, resurrected from the grave. And so, this testifies to the fact that you can come to God. You are not an outcast by reason of race by reason of culture, by reason of background. You are not an outcast because you cannot afford to pay. You see, Christ paid the price that you and I could not afford to pay. And we see this indicated. Even in the very gifts that were given by the wise men at his birth. So I'm going to ask the team to... Prepare to sing the last song. And I want to ask you, what did you expect Jesus to get for Christmas? Just the note of thanks at Christmas dinner? Thank you, Lord. We made it for another year. Thank you for this food. Do you think that the Lord is satisfied with that? No doubt it pleases him. You think, okay, well, actually, you know what? I'll, I'll go to church. I mean, it's Christmas and this too is good. And yet, is the Lord satisfied with that? You see, Jesus wants you. He wants all of you. He wants flaws and all. So many people I've met said, you know, I'm going to just get my life sorted, and then I'll come to God. And that's like somebody saying, I'm going to make myself well, and then I'm going to go to the doctors. Jesus says, come as you are. Weary, heavy laden, you're fed up. Furthermore, you're fed up of being fed up. Come as you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you come from. Jesus says, come as you are and give me you. When I was growing as a Christian, um, I came to the Lord in my teens. And um, there was a song that was by one of my favorite vocalists. Um, his name's Marvin Winans, one of the all-time greatest male vocalists ever, and I challenge anyone to tell me differently. <laughs> and um, there were certain occasions, you know, he came from the Winans family, and they were a traditional gospel family, and they were kind of known for their singing and their songs and so on. But there were certain times when he would kind of just go left field and just do something a bit different. And um, he had a song called Give Me You. And this was a this was a house. It was was almost a funky house song. If you love me, why don't you give me Thank you. I'm gonna need it after. And um I was like, yo, Marvin's on this this tune. And after I kind of got over the, 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 just the rhythm and the vibe of the tune, I, I started to listen to the lyrics. And, you know, Marvin just dealt with the tune as only he could. You'll have to look it up on YouTube. It's called Give Me You. But there was this, just this appeal. If you love me, why don't you give me you? If you love me, if you really love me, why don't you give me you? You know, Marvin, and then he would come with them real hearts wrenching. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> hmm. mm. You see, if you have any regard for the Lord, if you have any regard for His kingship, if you have any regard for His deity, if you have any regard. For he who is the king of kings, the only right and proper response is that you give your whole self to the Lord. Because Christ gave his life to buy you outright. You say, buy me? The Bible says all who practice sin are a slave to sin. And yet Jesus gave his life to buy your freedom. You no longer have to be a slave to sin or the consequences. Because the Bible tells us that the consequences of sin are not just in this life. They are. But ultimately it is eternal damnation. If you reject God unto death in this life, God will give you what you want. If you don't want him now, you won't be able to have him after And you would experience eternity without him. No love, no mercy, no goodness, no kindness. All of these things come from God. Imagine an existence without any form of goodness whatsoever. That is what the Bible declares is the plight of those who reject the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Give the Lord what he desires. Give him you today. Let's stand. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.